On this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion on the consequences of conservative coding practices. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me are Sheila Bolds and Jim Tamburini. Sheila and Jim, glad you can join us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having us, Tom. Sheila, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your current role here at Vizient? Sure thing. I'm Sheila Bolds. I am a senior consulting director here at Vizient. I've been at Vizient about two and a half years, and my background is kind of on the coding side of things. I have many, many years of experience working as a director in two of the larger health systems here in the Detroit area, live by Detroit. And I was over CDI there, coding, HIM, professional facility, kind of the whole ball of wax there. Welcome again. And Jim, can you kind of remind the audience about your background? Absolutely. So my name is Jim Tamburini. I'm a coder by background, HIM professional, have been in CDI consulting for about 10 years, and I have been with Vizient for almost five years now. So Sheila, on our previous episode, Jim and I introduced the idea of defensive or conservative coding. Do you mind giving us your perspective? Sure thing. And in short, agree with Jim, it's quite often due to denials. And that's really the biggest thing. And the coding team sees the denials that come back from the providers and the those diagnoses that get denied. And they get really frustrated. And after a while, they start thinking, gosh, they must be doing that wrong. So sometimes you have to kind of convince yourself, was it an actual problem with the coding or is it a problem in the documentation? And if it is a problem in the documentation, how can you prevent those denials? So they need to work with that CDI team and the providers on the documentation in order to have that appropriate documentation in order to prevent those denials in the future. So we heard from Jim in reference to his perspective of how we can be proactive, but let's hear your perspective on what a coding team can do proactively to prevent denials other than perform defensive coding. It's really important to understand why is that denial occurring? Is it that the providers are just sending it back to send things back? Because they do that. They'll deny things just to see if you'll appeal them. Or is it truly an issue with the documentation that you need to address with the CDI team who can then also provide education to the providers so that proactively in the future, you can see, okay, here's the improvement in that documentation. And sometimes after speaking with the physicians, you might not code that condition, but in many cases you will. You see, that makes sense to me. So what is the true goal of clinical coding? I mean, is it to get the clinical truth of the patient and tell the true clinical story of the patient's condition and care? Yeah, so it's really to get to that true clinical truth. What is that truth of the patient? Whether it's going to increase your reimbursement or not, it really is that true clinical story of reflecting how sick that patient was and then to be supported by the coding of the patient's stay. So after working with those providers, you may not code some of those conditions because they may say, hey, that really isn't what I meant. But then you get to that right documentation. Again, the true clinical story. You know, Sheila, Jim and I touched on this last time, but I keep on hearing from clinicians based on what we're seeing with quality, that there is a difference between coding for quality and then there's a difference for coding for reimbursement. What's the truth here? Is there a difference between one and the other? I wouldn't say there's really a difference at all. I would say you're going again for that true clinical truth. So if you're going for the true clinical truth, you should be capturing both the reimbursement portion of things and that mortality and those risk model type of diagnoses as well. To show again, what's the true story of that patient? I totally agree with Sheila on that. What we generally say is if you get the documentation in line, the quality piece will fall into place and the reimbursement piece will fall into place. But it all comes back to that documentation. And as Sheila said, telling the clinical truth of the patient, those codes should really tell the story of what actually went on with that patient during the course of care. 
Yeah, we'll dive into a lot of granularity in a minute, but as we go around the country, and I've had the pleasure of working with both of you around the country and with organizations all over the country as well, we see pushback from clinicians thinking this is all about reimbursement, but that's not the case. I think more importantly, the message should be that we're coming down to a clinical truth. Any feedback on that? So totally agree with you there. So a lot of times when we sit down and we explain things to them and say, hey, if you're not telling us how sick your patient is, when you see all of these different mortality models that come out for how sick your patients are and you haven't told us how sick your patient is, it looks like you don't have sick patients. And they will argue with you and say, well, my patients are really sick. And we say, well, if you don't tell us how sick they are, then we can't reflect that in all of these different scores. Did this get worse during the pandemic? I would say yes. And I think part of that is just due to the pandemic, but then also a lot of folks aren't on site anymore. And I think the on site piece has hurt a lot of the different communication skill sets between a CDI team and the physicians, but it's really kind of getting back to again, what should that communication be? And is that on site with one to one face to face, which is always, I think, the best. But if that's not going to work for your organization, what is that means of communication and the best way to communicate? Because if it's just a query going back and forth. A lot of times the providers get very frustrated and the CDI kind of are just acting like a coder, a concurrent coder. And it's how do we get to that clinical truth of that patient and communicate appropriately with the providers in order to get to that? So we've had discussions in other episodes about the importance of the collaboration between CDI and the coders. Any feedback you want to give to our audience in reference to reinforcing the key importance of that collaboration, because that's not the norm when I've been seeing around the country. Yeah, it's very important to have that collaboration. And sometimes you're going to agree to disagree, and that's okay too. But it's really having that mutual respect. And I think that's where a lot of it comes in as well as the mutual respect between the CDI team and the coding team to say, we can learn from each other. And then some of those little things that you always have done as a coder to say, hey, I can let the CDI team help me. So do that. And the same with the CDI team, have the coding team help you. Again, that mutual respect and just working together. So let's segue into patient safety indicators or PSI or hospital acquired conditions or HACs. Can CDI encoding capturing and reporting the overall clinical picture in patients with PSIs and HACs? Absolutely. So first off, they can help with, is it truly a hack or a PSI? Just starting there. But then from there, there are other pieces in that as well, because there are some diagnosis exclusions in those PSIs. And a lot of folks don't even recognize that. So yep, the PSI happened. And guess what? There's an exclusion that actually will make that not count as a PSI. But people don't kind of take that next step to make sure that that gets documented as well. And then a lot of your different quality type of programs, they also risk adjust these PSIs and hacks. So you want to make sure, two, one, again, is it a PSI or not? Two, do you have an exclusion? But three, if you don't have an exclusion, it is a hack, make sure you risk adjust that appropriately because I don't know if they always have the correct focus on those PSI and hacks. So can really have a big impact on making sure that documentation is there, not only for truly is it a PSI, is there an exclusion there? And then also getting all that appropriate risk adjustment. The discussion per se has to do with conservative coding. Many of our organizations do it because of denials or even issues they may fear from CMS, but actually conservative coding can actually have a deleterious effect on your quality reporting. Absolutely. And that's another aspect of it as well is if the coding team and the CDI team are 
only focused on that reimbursement, then sometimes things that will impact these mortality scores, they're going to be overlooked. So making sure that there's also a focus on with the CDI team, one, that they're looking for that documentation, but two, that that's getting pulled all the way through to the coding team as well, because the CDI team can go and get it. But if the coding team doesn't recognize that that's something important to put on the bill as well, it's not going to impact anything. So really, truly having a reconciliation process. And again, mutual respect between that CDI team and that coding team is really important. So we talked about PSIs and hacks, but this encompasses, you mentioned mortality, even length of stay. So the length of stay and the mortality, if those don't get captured, then you're not showing what the level of mortality, the expected mortality for that entire population is and the expected length of stay as well. So want to make sure that all of that gets captured. Thanks. So we work around the country. And again, many of our clinical leaders and our clinicians believe that this has to do everything to do with reimbursement. And reimbursement is part of it. So what else do we do at Vizian to help our members in reference to quality and kind of pointing together CDI encoding? So one, we work with everyone to provide that education. But two, one of the great things about Vizian is that we have all of our data analytics. So we can really help to provide some analytics to these hospitals to say, where should you target? You can't boil the ocean. So where are those places that look like you have an opportunity that we should check out to make sure, is that documentation correct? Is there education needed in that area? To have accurate documentation and coding capture for those. Sheila's absolutely correct on that. What's amazing about being at Vizian and having access to our CDB, our clinical database, is that we can run reports and compare hospitals against other hospitals that are Vizian members. And we can say, here's your actual performance. Here's what your peers are capturing. Here are the specific conditions that are being documented and captured more than you are. So what it appears is that you're treating less sick patients than hospital B across the street or across town or across the country. And if you want to improve your performance, as Sheila said, you can't boil the ocean. You want to improve your performance. Here's the specific areas that you need to look into and sort of make sure that you capture all of these conditions. You know, one thing I appreciate from the data, Jim, based on the cohort that we choose for a particular organization to look at their data, and they may say, well, you know, some of these hospitals really don't reflect us. I don't really think it's part of my cohort. We can actually then break it down to whatever facilities an organization feels can be their cohort. In our CDB, there's what's called the hospital profiler, which means we can put in certain metrics things like bed size, CMI, number of discharges per year, number of patients per year. We can put those metrics into the hospital profiler and we can come up with very much like facilities to compare one hospital to another. So speaking of the true clinical picture, last week we discussed that sometimes clinical language is not the same as coder language. Why is that a true statement? Coding rules do specify that coders should code what's been documented by the physician. However, these codes also need to be supported by the documentation of the different clinical symptoms and treatment of that patient. If that documentation isn't present, it really shouldn't be coded, again, unless that criteria is met. And if the documentation isn't there to support the code, this is where a denial can occur. So if you've got that diagnosis kind of documented, but nothing there to support it, yeah, a payer's going to deny that. And vice versa, if you've got all the documentation there for a diagnosis and you haven't coded it, of course, the payer's not going to see it at all. So we want to make sure we get that accurate documentation to support those diagnoses, because again, that's going to help you with those denials. So kind of looking forward with a lot of these things, gosh, this came through as a denial, but I don't know if that documentation really did support it well. And I think we could have had a little extra documentation to help that and in working with the providers on that as well. 
That's an excellent point, Sheila. And as you alluded to before, that collaboration between CDI and coding becomes really critical when it comes down to clinically validating those conditions that are documented and ensuring that we have a clean record that goes to coding so that they're able to apply those codes confidently and drop that bill in a timely fashion, knowing that it's going to be reimbursed appropriately. One area that I see that most likely is affecting all this is copying and pasting. Now, don't get me wrong. It's very efficient, but the problem is that we don't see editing going on. What is your feedback on that? That's what I think we see all the time. And it's frustrating to all of us because we do see that copy and pasting, not only from the same provider day to day to day to day, but also copy and pasting from one provider to another. And so that does create some difficulties for us in making sure that things are documented appropriately. And you're right, it needs to have that edit piece. Copy and paste is okay as long as that edit piece happens as well. And if something's inaccurate in the record, it gets copy and pasted all the way through. Getting that corrected can also be an issue as well. So that edit piece is very, very important. That's a great point, Sheila. Oftentimes we have to query because there's conflicting documentation from provider to provider because the cardiology team are copying their note forward into the record and the hospitalist team are copying their note forward into the record. So this conflicting documentation just gets perpetuated throughout the entire stay. And then we have to send a query to clarify, okay, do you mean condition A or do you mean condition B? Sheila and Jim, thanks for this discussion. And to our listeners, you can contact Sheila and Jim at their email address listed in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We posted a link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks so much for listening.